I want to give a, um, a shout out to a couple of uh, guys in our church, a couple of young men. Well, they're not so young, but they're men. Uh, Jason Matisse and Walter Donald. Uh, I don't know if you, a lot of you are aware of this, but we've been renovating this place, and you're about to see some of that in the weeks that unfold. In fact, our children's area and office area is going to be ready here on the north side in the next couple of weeks. We look forward to debuting that and to make continued refinements to this beautiful uh, structure here um, at Woodland Hills, Fondren Church at Woodland Hills. But we had to do some major work on the foundation to this building right across the courtyard next to the magnolia, uh, magnolia tree. And it created just a lot of uh, mud and water and stuff. And of course, the structural engineers, uh, fountain construction, they did the heavy load. But we needed uh, some work done this week so that we could have dinner, lunch on the grounds, whatever we're calling it today. And Jason and Walter are good at what they do. And could you imagine coming every day with no pay and just working hard, backbreaking labor? They're good at what they do, they're servants. And that's the key thing. And they came. So would you give a shout out to Jason and Walter today? Great guys. And not to be forgotten for uh, some work as well, Michael Gillespie, thank you, appreciate uh, what you do. And I want to give a personal shout out to Richard Petty. Richard, would you stand up if you would from the front row, if you would, just about 30 seconds. He, he does so reluctantly. And uh, this is Richard Petty. Um, he is wearing maroon and uh, he's an Auburn fan. And the reason he's wearing maroon is because he lost a bet last week. So let's show Richard some love and appreciate him. He enticed me, and you know, Ecclesiastes 5, you were here that Sunday, weren't you? We talked about making a vow and keeping that vow, and we're glad Richard, uh, Richard stayed last week after his loss. He stimulated the uh, local economy there in Stark Vegas, missed church, and uh, here he is today, so no judgment there. Got a group of singles on the front row. Good luck there, guys. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, you can turn there. There's, I think there's nothing like having an open Bible in front of you. Uh, I could hoodwink you and say things that aren't in there, right? So if you have an open Bible, you can keep me honest or relatively honest anyway. Um, but we will put uh, a couple of passages up from Ecclesiastes 7. We're just walking through this great book. Um, and as you turn there, I want to tell you, uh, a few years ago, I was recalling this this week. A few years ago, I was in a, a group environment with some, with some friends, some people I knew, some people I was getting to know. And the icebreaker question was, uh, was the following. They said, um, uh, answer this, take a moment to ponder, and then answer the question, I always wanted a, always wanted a, now, you want to know what I said? Always wanted a, always wanted a grandpa. My, my dad grew up uh, with a single mom, and my mom's, um, father died at a very early age. I never knew them. I, I knew a, a great-grandfather. I knew him for just a, a few years, have some vague recollections of some things, but I, I wanted a grandpa. Um, I still do, a surly old man that uh, would invite me over, and I could come and sit on his couch, and he would um, he'd go get me something to drink. He wouldn't ask me what I wanted to drink. He'd bring me black coffee, and if I asked for milk or sugar, he'd slap me. Right, that kind of guy. And he, I would sit there and he would tell me a story of when he killed a communist with his bare hands. Right? He wouldn't say communist, of course, he'd say commie. And he, he had to do this. There were no other options, no choice. And he would tell me about the hand-to-hand -hand guerrilla warfare. And he would dispense all kind of wisdom my way, the, all, the wisdom that you only get through age, through experience, through, through what is hard won in life. This morning, I want us to consider 
Solomon in Ecclesiastes to be that grandpa, to be a guy who, who really has lived and who's got something to tell us. You know, when men and women get older, they begin to think about what they're leaving behind and who's going to get it. They hire lawyers and draft a will and designate the beneficiaries. They begin to think, who's going to get my money, my books, my bank account, my business? Who's going to get the personal property that I have, the keepsakes and collectibles and tools and trophies? Who's going to get my stuff? And nine times out of ten, if not more, uh, we think uh, about our inheritance as it uh, relates to wealth, but not to wisdom. And look at chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. What would the sage say, wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now, if you've been here uh, any of these weekends, you know that chapters 1 to 6, we have been walking through uh, where Solomon just says, man, it, it just doesn't matter. It's, it's life on a treadmill. It's, it's monotonous at best. It's meaningless at its very worst. And, and so it is. It, it's the guy on the treadmill at the gym that thinks he's making progress, but not so much. It's the, the hamster on the wheel in the cage. Seems like you're going somewhere, but you're really not. And he, he walks through that and he says, man, I have been there. That's what a good old surly man grandpa would do in my life if I had one. He would tell me he's been there. But Solomon can say it as we've learned like nobody's business. He had beauty and education and wealth and privilege and prosperity. He had parties. He threw parties like no other parties. He had ladies. You know the math there, right? 300 wives, 700 concubines. That adds up to uh, men, 1,000, right? Uh, 1,000 ladies. He knew how to party. He had vineyards and ranches and all that. You say, you know, I planted a maple tree, a huckberry tree, a crepe myrtle out back. Solomon would say, man, I planted national parks. I had people that cooked my food. I had people to chew my food. I had it all, and it just didn't satisfy me. That's chapters 1 through 6. But in verse 7, Solomon's our grandpa. We're sitting down with him over black coffee, and he's telling us some really wise things. But now he's got some experience. He's starting to make some sense of the seemingly existential conclusions that he has drawn. In verse 7, you've got to picture an old man, which means there's diminished quality to his life, physical vitality, perhaps a little bit of the intellectual ability has waned. There's decreased metabolism. He's probably got some love handles, a spare tire, some saddlebags. He's just, you know, saddlebags. He, he's, he's just a little run down. He's no longer growing up. He's growing old. But he says some really valuable things. In Proverbs 8, it, it, he hearkens to some of the wisdom he shares there. Have you noticed that um, commercials use a lot of women to sell their products? I mean, I'm just going to go there. Some of you don't want me to. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to go with Paris Hilton and Carl's Jr., right? I mean, uh, a cosmetically altered Paris Hilton uh, clad provocatively, and she's selling a half-pound Texas barbecue thick burger with crispy fried jalapenos and onions, and she's basically making love to this hamburger she can barely put her hand around. Have you noticed? We, I mean, where's the, 
what's she selling? We need a fat guy to sell that burger, don't we? Give us a fat guy. But there's a woman, and marketers are slick. I'm telling you what you already know, right? Marketers are slick. Often they use a woman to call out, to beckon, to say, here it is. And Solomon does that. He does it in Proverbs 8. He says that wisdom is like a woman. Now, why is that? Because women are smarter than men. How many of you believe that, right? That's why Solomon, I agree. Okay, do you? Women are smarter. He uses a woman and he says that she calls out loudly. Here's what I want to tell some of you today. Wisdom is not as subtle as we think it is. You see, for me in my life, wisdom is easy to find, but it's hard to follow. And I, I know that what I'm eating isn't particularly healthy, that there's a, a better alternative. It's probably green and leafy, but there's a better alternative, right? I, I know that, that, that there's something healthier and more vigorous for me to read, something more life-giving, something that'll saturate my mind in a way that would honor God, that I would learn about him and myself and life, but I waste time looking at a screen or watching mindless TV. I know that I should not hit the send button when I've crafted an email that's really loaded with anger and that's going to provoke someone to wrath, but I sometimes send it anyway. Wisdom is easy to find. It calls out loudly, but it's really hard to follow. In fact, if you read Proverbs 8, you'll be asked to do so if you're in a, in a small group, Ecclesiastes sermon-based small group. But in Proverbs 8, this woman of wisdom calls out uh, at the gate. She's uh, high on the hilltop. She's at the crossroads. She's right there at the, at the center of the city calling out and telling people the way to go. And the Bible says, Solomon says in Proverbs 8, hey, if you're simple... Look for good judgment. If you're foolish, gain understanding. So what wisdom does Solomon give us in chapter 7? Let's look. Grandfather Solomon, okay, now you're at his house. You're drinking a cup of black coffee. And chapter 7 and verse 1 says this. You got it open there. I do too. A good name. I'm going to read 7.1a. A good name is better than precious ointment. Now, the Hebrew word in, in the Hebrew language, the, the word name and ointment, just an interesting fact I'm going to drop on you. There's just one letter difference in both words. So it, it, just interesting. Maybe, maybe there's some humor there when it was written to its original intended audience, but just one, word, one letter difference in the alphabet there in the word name and the word ointment. So Solomon's dropping it. He, he, he's saying something. You know, you got, you got anybody, a friend like that, they say something like, man, profound, like, man. And right there, one letter difference, but such a, a big difference. And, and know this, in the Hebrew world, in the ancient world of that time, that perfume had, it had great value. It, it cost a lot. Now, some of you uh, might have a cheap knockoff version right now. Just kind of get a smell of somebody sitting around you. See if, they got, see if we've got some cheap perfume in this place, right? There, there are cheap knockoff brands of perfume, right, that some of you may be wearing at this moment. But perfume was, was considered costly. All of it was at the time of this writing. And what's he saying? He's saying what's really valuable, what's really honorable, what's noble, what's really good is character. It's your character. You see, do you really want to, does it matter how good you smell? 
when they drop your name and all the eyes roll at the dinner table? Is, is, is that what you want? What really matters is not the outside, but it's the interior development of your soul that we talked about last week, the formation of your character, who you are truly becoming. You're fashioning a life, and it's the small choices. It really is the little things, the little things. The little things become the big, big things. A friend of mine says, the little things are the big things. That's how big the little things are. They, they are. It really does matter. The, the choices, the hinges of your life's destiny and mine, it hinges right there on the, the decisions we make in the very small matters. You see, good looks and some glamour, a great personality can get you married but it's character and integrity that can keep you married. Talent, skill, ambition can open a door for a job, but it's character and integrity that can keep you on that career path. Bio through biological reproduction, you can become a mom or dad, but character and integrity will determine if you're able to communicate with your kids and influence them over the long haul character that matters. Somebody put it this way. Character determines how far you go. Listen to this. And whether you like yourself when you get there. I, I think of, let's just pull from the athletic world. Let's, let's pull from a, a, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at, at Florida State who in some ways is kind of turn public opinion, and it seemed like there were just, a, uh, at least where I was anyway, there were just a lot of Notre Dame fans out of the blue because people are wondering about the character of this quarterback. You ever heard anybody question him on the field? And everybody, uh, I for one am cheering for the man, not so much the quarterback, but for the young man and who he can become. But Jamius Winston is learning or needs to learn that you're going to need to like yourself when you get there, 23-0, and 0, never having lost a college game, winning a national championship on the path to another. He's going to have to one day be able to like himself, and it's going to come down to way more than to wins. LeBron James created a lot of enemies several years ago when he called a press conference and bolted from his home state to take his talents to South Beach, Miami. Did he win? He won titles. Did he back up his word? He backed up his word. But he hurt a lot of people in the process of doing so. And he showed a lot of arrogance. This is his own confession. And now through free agency, he's back home and he's trying to make some things right. See, I think he is an example, a few years ahead of another young man who realizes, hey, it's not just where you're going, but you've got to like yourself when you get there. You can smell good. Now, under this idea of ointment, or that's kind of a funny word. Didn't say that out loud, ointment. Just look at somebody next to you and say, ointment. Would you do that? That'll make sure that nobody's sleeping. Ointment. Susan, did you say it? She did. <laughs> now, let's, let's drop that word, okay? Because it's just, it's just a funny word. But let's, let's go with the word perfume. And under the word perfume, you could, I mean, there's a lot of things that you and I can do to spruce up our lives, Right? We can change our diet. We can go to the gym. We can, you know, have a little work done, right? 
And, but we're all, there's a downward slide. Look, I'm not up here to make any judgments or talk about anybody that's had any work done. I'm praying about having some work done myself, right? But you know, at what point do you have to say stop, right? I mean, some folks have had some work done, you know, and it's like, you know, mommy, what's that? What's that, right? I mean, you know, it used to be who is that? Now it's what's that, right? I mean, how much work can, can you have done? How much effort do we want as a society with all of our technology and medical and scientific advances? How much, how far are we going to go to paint up the barn, to work on the outside? So underneath the word perfume, you could probably substitute a lot of good words, things that you could do to cultivate the outside of you. But long after, the scent of the perfume fades. Good character. Ecclesiastes would tell us it goes beyond the grave. Last week, I noticed a man and his two daughters at our church. And before the service, I noticed that uh, these two daughters, that this, this man's in his 50s. And I observed that, uh, and I know this family, there's a, a 22-year-old daughter who just finished college. She's married. There's one uh, still in college with another year or two to go. And they were uh, touching their father. They were talking to their father. They were affectionate. And I remember looking at that and thinking, I want that. that I want that. D do you know anybody that just, they've got a depth about them? And they don't seem to be as concerned about the external and the temporal and the things that are fading away. There's just a depth there. And the older I get, I'm telling you young people, listen to me. Let me be the old surly grandfather man for a second. You will care. You will care more about the inside of you. Right now you're focused on where you're going, but you're going to have to like the person once you get there. There's another 50-year-old man, mid-50s, and he's just chiseled. I went running with him the other day, and I, I couldn't keep up. He was nice to me to run a couple of miles with me, and I felt sort of, you know, guilty. And I said, man, when you're ready, you just you run ahead on. Now, I've said that to other guys. They never run on. I'm a pastor, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> Who would do that? But this guy took the hills way ahead of me. I put up my thumb, and I could, he was about the size of my thumb in the distance. I'm like, man, I want to be like that guy. That's what I want. But honestly, you know, that man's vain. He's no good. He didn't go to church here. It's his fault, his sin. But I, the older I get, honestly, I'll tell you. You know what I admire more and more the older I get? Courage. Somebody that's, somebody that's got courage. Somebody that'll keep their word in the silly things, but not just, not just the silly things, not just an Auburn guy wearing a Mississippi State shirt. We'll try to make a couple of references throughout the sermon. But not just, not just a silly, not just the courage to do something silly like my friend Richard Petty, but the courage to do the hard thing, to do the unpopular thing, to do the thing that it seems like there's nothing to gain when you do that thing. That's what I'm admiring more and more and more. A good name. A good name. And it, it, it outlasts. It's better. He says it. I mean, it's just simple. A good name is better than perfume. The external is better than the internal. Years ago, many, many years ago, when Susan and I were dating, we were in Atlanta for the Olympics. And I think there was sort of a feeling in the air that we really liked each other. 
and this thing was going somewhere. Her maiden name is Mamarian. And all these college girls we were with started saying out loud, they would say, Mamarry him, Mamarry him. And that put pressure on me, a lot of pressure on me, because you see, I was stashing away cash for a ring, and I was educating myself on the four C's of diamond engagement ring. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Cut, color, clarity, and carrot. And if you break that down, that cut idea, it has to do with finish and polish and proportion and symmetry. And cut determines the brilliance of the diamond. The more a diamond is cut, the more brilliant it shines. A brilliant, a well-cut diamond is sold at a premium price. A diamond not cut very well is sold at a discount price. And character, like a beautiful diamond, it's formed under pressure. It's fashioned in the point where you and I are hurt. And only that idea can lead us to what Solomon says next. In Ecclesiastes 7.1b, I believe it is. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Come on. Who says that? Who would say that? How can that be inspired? How can that be the oracles of God? How can this guy be wise? I mean, you had me, Grandpa. The black coffee, the great conversation, killing the commies, you know, uh, telling me about the outside. Uh, It doesn't hold a candle to what's really inside. I was with you. I was following you. Now you're just cuckoo over Cocoa Puffs, man. What is happening? How can you say that the day of death is better than the day of birth? Let me break it down for you. The day of birth is about potential. If you're a note taker, that'd be a good word to write by the word birth. You know, we have three kids. I love it when you call them by their names instead of referring to them as the preacher's kids. That's real helpful and healthy if you do that. But we have three kids born in three different cities. RJ was born in Miami and Haley was born out in San Diego and Susan when she was nine months pregnant with Wesley uh, she was pulling out of a Walmart on Highway 80 in Pearl and somebody hit their van hit our van and I thought oh my god are they okay and oh my god is our third child going to be born in Pearl but (laughs) fortunately we can say St. Dominic's but hey look three different kids born in three different cities, but I'm telling you, the same mama and the same magic. A joy-filled, euphoric moment where I was beside myself. When my firstborn was born, uh, it was 6 a.m. in Miami. I called the in-laws in California. It was 3 a.m. there to tell them that we had a boy. I look at my kids and I see their potential And I love them for who they are and whose they are. And often, in fact, daily, I look at them and I see their potential. I see how different these three are. I look at my 10-year-old. He's one of the ones not in the room right now, so we'll talk about him. But I look at him, and the joker is weird. I'm telling you, he's weird like his dad. And if you know me, know him, you know this is true. But, like, he'll take something. He he doesn't need people. I mean, if there's people around, that's even better because he's an extrovert. But he'll take, like, a pen or pencil, and he'll go in the backyard, and this pen or pencil will just become things. I mean, he's an announcer. You know, on the, he's doing a weather forecast. He's playing ball. We're, we just look, we look at him. We're like, he's walking on the wood deck on the rail. Could get hurt. He's play, what's he doing? What's he saying? I just see the creative side of this kid. 
And I'm, I'm biased, I know, but I think he's brilliant. I can't wait to see what he becomes. Not good math and science, but he, I can't wait, to, can't wait to see how God uses the artistic side of him. Needs, needs some discipline, doesn't pay attention a lot, but I love him. And I can't wait, and I look, and I see in him and my other two. In all three, I see what? I see their potential. And honestly, when I think about it, and I get excited. It has little to do with athletic, academic, artistic achievement. It has everything to do with do they love life deeply? Do they know Jesus passionately? And I want to live in such a way where they grow up and listen to me. They don't hate the church. And you help with that. I look at my three and I, I, I go to the ball field sometime and lo and behold, here's some people, here's some young people like Shaw Singleton or Austin Moore or Austin Brown who are there at the ball field because they love me and they love my kids and they're there. What a great picture that is to love on the preacher's kids. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. But I, I want them to, to become people where character really matters and I see their potential. But death, write this word down. Birth is about potential. Death is about fulfillment. It's about fulfillment. You say green. You're going to stand up here and say, like Solomon. I mean, you're agreeing with this dude. You're agreeing with the old surly grandpa that the day of death is better than the day of birth. I'm telling you, I am. I've studied it. I've grappled with it. I'm getting older myself. And I say a hearty amen when Solomon says this, you say, Green, you don't want to grow up and see your kids get older and grow. I want that. I, I, I want to see my kids grow up. I, I want to see them go to college. I want to see my daughter walk down the aisle. I, I want to see my kids have kids. I want to be the granddad that just feeds them candy corn and doesn't spank them. I want to be that guy. That's, that's the guy that I want to be. That guy, like just sugar them up and hand them over, man. If they're doing something wrong, man, don't acknowledge it. They're your grandkids, man. And I, I want to be the, that old 90-year-old, man. I want to grow old with her. And I want us to be old on one of my kids' front porches or back porches. It doesn't matter. And we're sipping something to drink and we're sucking the resources out of them for once, right? I want to be that guy. Man, I want to grow old. But let me tell you a little bit about me for a second. That only one person probably knows about. Simple Microsoft Word document. And it's entitled, Don't Cry for Me. And I'm preparing this one day for my departure. For whenever my ticker stops ticking. And I've got, it's about three pages. And it says things, I won't give it all to you, but it says things like, don't cry for me, I've kissed a beautiful woman. That'd be her. Don't cry for me, I played golf at Doral and Torrey Pines. Don't, play, don't, don't cry for me, I, I, I've been at a Major League Baseball game seven of the World Series. Don't, don't cry for me, I lived in Yugoslavia right before it became Croatia. Don't cry for me, I've been to Asia and Europe and many different continents. Don't cry for me, I've laughed more than anybody deserves. I, I've, when I was like 30, I started getting wrinkles around my eyes. I've laughed so much. Don't cry for me. And here's what I'm saying to you this morning. What else am I going to put on that list? What, what else goes on that document? Only God knows, and I can't wait to find out. 
But the last line has already been written. And I want it said, and I want it celebrated. It's already been written. Don't cry for me. I'm going home. Death is about fulfillment. And Solomon goes on here in verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning, another uh, seemingly idiotic statement. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. What in the world? The house of mourning is what I just mentioned. That's the funeral. That's the place you go. And look, sometimes... um, Sometimes we paint over this. Remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4. Hey, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. But listen to me. We do grieve. When someone dies, there's grief. And there ought to be. But the day, the house of feasting, what's he saying there? The house of feasting, I believe, can be many things. I I would bore you if I told you what I believed it was uh, in Solomon's time. But the house of feasting is the place to party. And why in the world would he say, I'd rather be at at a church, a funeral home, uh, saying goodbye to somebody than partying? Well, let me tell you why. Because when you're partying, what are you doing? Maybe you're cutting into a filet. You're sipping a, a Merlot, some of you. And you're, what are you doing? You're laughing and you're talking and you're throwing your head back and you're exaggerating stories. And you're probably not saying in that moment, I wonder if I'm right with God. I wonder if my soul is being formed in a way that honors him. I wonder if what I've been weaving in time, I'm ready to wear in eternity. You don't say that in those moments, do you? You don't. It's all about mirth. It's all about joy and gladness. But when you go to a funeral, you're thinking about life. It's the Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. And that's the beauty. That's why the house of mourning is better. It's because you examine your life. You sit there and you think, how have I lived? How am I living? What's next? And that's why he would say it's better. He goes on to say sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. I was with you there. If I understand the funeral and I contrast it with a party, I'm with you. But why would he, why would he say this? Why, how could sorrow be better? Jesus would pick up on this later. In Matthew chapter 5, we've preached this, the Beatitudes. Blessed are what? The poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. He says, for they shall be comforted. You and I won't know true comfort unless we've expressed the mourning. And here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. I'm no better than anybody here, by the way. I had lunch, uh, a three-hour lunch this week with somebody who's giving up on church. And he hates how plastic we can be. And I I just want to say, man, can we be a place to say that it's okay to, to not be okay? And for us to mourn and for us to feel things and to be real and to share our disappointments and our doubt and our depression and our nervous breakdowns and our failure. And if you've done time, man, just say, man, I did some time. In fact, I, I pray for a church where, ladies, you'd have to pull your purse in right, right there below you. Just zip it up and make sure because you don't never know what's going to happen here. You don't know who's going to take some valuables, right? Wouldn't it be cool to be that kind of church? It's hoping for more than Lauren's amen, but I'll take it. 
still have a dream and you're not gonna squash it. But man, to be that place, but let me say, your stuff, I don't know your struggles, if it's, if it's lust and it's anger. By the way, the festive house, that place, by the way, for us could be the porn site, it could be the strip club, it could be the bar, it could be the gadgets, it could be those things that just numb the pain, okay? And let me say this. We got, we, got, we got a large medical contingency in our church. But it's a tough day when a doctor just starts treating the pain only because they can no longer cure the disease. And God wants you to be broken and he allows us to be hurt because what happens? When, when, whatever you struggle with, that lust and that rage and that violence, that mean-spiritedness, that ego, that arrogance about you, all that stuff that just, man, it's just not good in you. And what happens when, when hardship comes, when you mourn, that stuff comes up, but you're cut, and it's God's opportunity to do surgery in your life. Therefore, sorrow is better than laughter. And he closes with an interesting phrase. He talks about the heart of wise in the house of mourning and the heart of fools in the house of mirth. God sends sorrow to churn us, to surface things so that he could do surgery in our lives. Would you pray with me? As you bow, we are in a moment going to extend a, a time of invitation where a few of us will be down front and we would love, as we do often, to be able to pray. To pray over you and something in your life, a need. It could be something, a, a pocket of pain or brokenness or it could be just something that you need to give to Christ. Whatever area of character formation, whatever sense of loss. And I want to pray for a few moments that we would. We would give God these few minutes that you would now. What I've learned about getting older, and one day as a grandpa I'll share with some folks. Sometimes we give God our leftovers. And we come in here and we're thinking about the other person. and We don't give God an opportunity to cut through some of the complexities of our lives and do, do surgery in our hearts. I think of the disciple John, the, the disciple that says that Jesus loved, that loved Jesus. And he has this letter in the New Testament. He says, I pray that you're your body and your soul will be healthy. I pray that you will have joy and gladness. And man, I want that for you and I want it for me. But I know God uses a woman and uses a man greatly when he hurts them deeply. When they're willing to go through some mourning and let them cut to the heart. I pray today that you would leave here and let God do that. Jesus, we want to give you this time and we want to pray. We want to, in a moment, stand and sing and honor you through the, the words of this song. Lord, I pray we would offer it up to you. And Lord, a good, good portion of us have spent 
most of this week thinking about the fragrance, the perfume, the scent, the cosmetic changes. And Lord, the call is to live a life of depth. Lord, what's noble and valuable, like a beautifully cut diamond, is for us to go through pressure and to be polished, to let you do your work in us. For the faint of heart, I pray they would not grow weary. Lord, let us surrender to you, for it's a better way. It's a much better way. In you we pray. Amen. Would you stand? I'll have my microphone off and... A couple of our folks down front, we want to uh, have the opportunity uh, to pray for you, to come around you in prayer.